We're just going to jump right in. We're continuing this sermon series called The Questions of Christmas. And we're just taking a very common aspect, uh, obvious aspects of the Christmas story, and doing a little deeper dive, asking why, um, why this way, or why, um, the first week, why, why a virgin birth, or why a Bethlehem manger. This week is why now, meaning why did Jesus come when he did, probably around the year four. BC, we, as historians could best pinpoint the date, you know, why not some other time? Oh, man, are they still here? I needed to thank them for helping us. Yeah, yeah, we'll get them. All right, so the kids can be dismissed to go to classes if, they, if you're doing that. So they're in the back. I think most of them went, but feel free to go. They're back. Your uh, kids' leaders are back there. All right. It was Dan's fault. <laughs> but my brother just apologized to me, and I forgive you already. So. Was, it your, was it your call? Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> Here, we got a problem with the sermon, too, though. Because this question, the, the why now question, there's two sort of problems. One is, people don't really ask this question a lot. You know, why did Jesus, why was Jesus born when he was born? Why not earlier? Why not later? People do not call me up and say, Pastor, can we sit down and have a meeting? I have a faith question. Why did Jesus come when he did? They just don't ask me that question. Uh, the other, you know, you don't stay up late at night thinking about that. The other, the other problem is that this is one of the more foolish questions to try to answer. You know, why did God send Jesus when he did? Because it's kind of an unanswerable question. God, in his sovereignty, can do whatever he wants whenever he wants, at his good pleasure. Um, his ways are higher than our ways. His timing is not our timing. So God, and God is eternal. So because God is eternal, he, he doesn't view or experience time in the way that we do. So to ask about God's timing is kind of foolish. It's, it's like that old joke, and a man is, is talking to God, and he says, God, how long is a million years to you? And God says, one second. Wow. God, what is a million dollars to you? And God says, one penny. And the man said, God, can I have one penny? <laughs> and God said, in a minute. <laughs> right? The point is, that's an old one, the point is that um, this question, again, it's not a question that's necessarily on your heart, and it's not really an answerable question, and yet... In our human experience, we ask this type of question all the time. God, why now? Or God, why not now? Or God, why do I have to wait? God, why not heal now? God, this person I've been praying to come to faith, why won't you just draw them to saving faith in you? God, why wouldn't you just end war or end a disease, end a pandemic? God, why are we waiting we, we are constantly in this internal battle with God's timing in our lives. And God calls us to trust him. God calls us to be patient. To be patient, which can be hard. God um, is, is calling us to trust that he will indeed accomplish his good purposes in our world, but also his good purposes in your life as well. So, 
that, that's why, as we explore this today, my hope for us as we're gathered here is that as we understand God's timing in sending Jesus to this world, we might have just a deeper sense that God is in control, that God knows what he's doing, that his timing is perfect, and that we can indeed trust him. Because if we can entrust God, if we can trust him with the timing of the things in our life that don't quite align with where God's at and where we're at, where we would like him to move faster or slower, um, we, uh, the more that we can trust him, we can have peace. And then we can truly have joy and we can celebrate what God is doing and what God has accomplished in this world and what God is doing in our lives as well. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, When the set time had fully come, God sent his son. When that set time had come. So why did God set that time? Why was it right then? I want to answer it in two parts. One, I want to take a little historic, kind of answer it historically. Why then in human history? And then maybe more of a theological answer. You know, what was God's heart in this timing for the world and his good purposes? So let's pray. So Father, as we approach this question, as we approach your word, I pray that during this season you would give us deeper rhythms of faith, of trusting you more fully. We know that we are not there yet, that we are works in process, we are in progress, and you are doing your good work in our hearts to transform us, to grow us. And we pray that even in this time that you would just give us another step of faith, maybe a new step of repentance and turning away from ourselves and turning towards you. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here and active and working. And so we just thank you for that. And we give this time to you. We pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Why now? Why did Jesus come when he did? So the historians, whether they're people of faith or not, would say, well, this was a perfect time to start a movement in the world where Jesus was, was born. This was, Jesus came into the world around the beginning of what we call the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. The Roman Empire had very successfully conquered most of the known world, or the most of the sort of the Mediterranean world there. So you have a very powerful empire. There's a lot of peace that comes with that. There's tranquility in the world. The much of the world was, was unified, actually, under the, the rule of Roman authority. God could have chosen to begin his kingdom in this world, in this new way, through Jesus. He could have announced it with skywriting, or he could have sent angels to one group and angels to the next group and just keep sending angels. But God's, in God's good pleasure, he doesn't send angels to everybody. He sends people. He sends ordinary people. And that's his plan. So the world at the time of Jesus was actually a world where people could travel and tell stories. This this whole Pax Romana led to a time of very successful commerce and business. There were roads. And so there was a whole network of roads where people could travel and do business and there was a, a, because there was a strong government in place, there was a fair amount of safety in travel and doing business. So messages could go from one town to another to another. So you have Christian 
business people doing business and commerce and bringing this message of Jesus. You have Christian soldiers, Roman soldiers, who are doing their soldier thing in different places, able to travel, even to the outskirts of the empire. You have uh, Christian missionaries. So the early church was intentionally sending people along these same trade routes and through these normal means of travel, and, and this is the message of Jesus is spreading very rapidly in the world. And not only that, because of this, the, the unity of the world at the time, there was a common language. It was called Koine Greek or Common Greek, different than classical Greek, different than contemporary modern Greek. It was uh, the, the Greek language of the, of the first century in, in the world at that time. And you would speak your own language, but to be able to do business, you would need to learn this common Greek. And so the story of Jesus was written, most of the New Testament was written in common Greek. So this message could be um, sent in writing, it could be sent on foot in word, it could be translated into other languages. And this has all led to this massive spread of the good news of Jesus, God's kingdom on earth. And in a lot of ways, at the same time of Jesus' arrival, Roman rule really caused God's people, the, the Jewish people, it caused them to have a, a real hunger because they weren't as free as they would like to be. Rome, as much as it provided protection and safety, it was really an oppressive regime. and It, it dictated how they were to worship and uh, it really had a lot of authority and a lot of taxes. And uh, it was a time when there was a hunger for a savior to come and to save God's people from that. There was also the Old Testament prophets, particularly the prophet Daniel, had made a prediction, Daniel chapter 9. It's a very in some ways, a very complicated prophecy, but basically predicts the date that the Messiah would come and suffer. So with great accuracy, in Daniel chapter 9, if you, you kind of do the math of when he's predicting the Messiah will come, points right to the time of Jesus. And people knew that. And there was a deep expectation in the world that this was going to happen soon and at this time. And sure enough, Jesus came into that and the gospel and the good news of Jesus spread like wildfire. Now, if you're a historian, you could argue to say, yeah, well, that's the reason Christianity you know, spread so far was because it, it happened at the right time. Christianity caught lightning in a bottle and, and it just kind of, dumb luck, became the religion that sort of goes around the world. But the problem with that argument is you could make that case in the first century, but throughout the centuries, the gospel has taken on like wildfire in different parts of the world. And the center of our Christian faith geographically has shifted around the world where other religions have not done that. So other major world religions. Think about Hinduism. Hinduism is centered in India. It always has, and it is showing no signs of shifting away from there. Now, there's Hindus who emigrate and end up in different places, but the center of that faith system is really in India. Islam, the center of Islam, is in the Middle East, on the Arabian Peninsula. That's where it started. That's where it's concentrated. And there's some, some Muslim nations in Africa and a lot more Muslims, through again, through immigration in Europe. But the center of the faith, the, the weight of it, is really in that one geographic place. But Christianity starts in the Middle East. It spreads like crazy through Europe. 
It, then it comes over North America, and then through South America, back through Africa, just, just thousands and tens of thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then really has shifted the focus of, of Christian faith and conversion and growth of God's kingdom is over, in recent times is in Asia. Countries like uh, Korea or South Korea and China. There could be 100 million Christians in China right now. Just massive, explosive growth of the Christian faith. And it's just shifted around the globe because God is at work. So you could say, well, you know, it was just kind of the right place and it kind of took off. You say, well, that's the wisdom of God to be at the right time in the right place with the right conditions where this thing could just go all over. So what does that teach us? That teaches us that God's timing is perfect. God is using all things, even global events, even pagan nations. God is using all these things to accomplish his good purposes. And you are part of this global movement of God's work. He's invited you by faith to be a part of it, to be a part of his kingdom of heaven here on earth. So when we get kind of focused on the problems of our lives and our little issues and those things that we're not trusting God's timing or God is asking us to be patient. We remember that I am part of an unstoppable kingdom. And Jesus said, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. That it is on the move and God is accomplishing it. And we can be part of it. So when we're waiting, when we ask this question, why now? We remember God's wisdom is greater than our wisdom. God is accomplishing great Things. His timing is better than my timing. But why would God make me wait for my thing or not do the thing I'm asking him to do? God asks us to wait to prepare our hearts. God has us wait to build our faith, to build a deeper hunger for his way, especially when we see it not lived out in our world. And there's this deep hunger which causes us to trust in his perfect and good timing, that we will truly believe as his word says, that he is working all things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. So the historic answer kind of reminds us that and grounds us in that. But let's answer the question differently here. The why now? Why did Jesus come when he came? The theological reason we see here in this passage that was read for us from the letter to the Galatians, particularly verse 4, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. And what we have going on here is that God has revealed himself to the world he created, but he's done it in a progressive way, meaning one step after another. God doesn't just reveal himself all at once. When humanity sins and is broken and fallen in sin, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sin, God doesn't just send Jesus right there. He could, but God is choosing to reveal himself in a, in a progressive way. And we, we always, any profound notion or profound learning, you have to learn it in incremental ways. If you want to be a brain surgeon, you don't go to brain surgery 101 and finish the class and start performing brain surgery. You don't start there. You start with a biology class and then anatomy and physiology and you build this the whole thing and then you go to medical school and then you have you practice you slowly build skills towards this profound thing which we call brain surgery the same we teach we teach our children this way 
We don't teach our children every detail about these big questions of life and adult relationships and uh, death and all that. We just teachable moments, we, a little bit at a time as appropriate, and as they grow and learn, they understand more completely. So what God has done for us is that part of his revealing himself to the world was the law. God said, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you how I'm going to change and save this world. And he calls a group of people and he said, here is an excellent law for you to follow. That's the context of this Galatians passage. This, this, when that set time fully came, it was the time when that living under that law was over and God's grace would be more fully known. And in the context here, it was talking about how our connection to God was never based on how excellently people can follow God's laws. It was all about faith in God. But then the question is, well, if it was all about faith, then why did God give us this law? Galatians 3.19 says, why then was the law given at all? It's a fair question. If What is God doing with this? Well, it goes on to say, Galatians chapter 3. So this just precedes what was read for us. It says, The law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're not, no longer under a guardian. The idea was the law played a special role. Described as guardian, or the same word for teacher, or schoolmaster, or tutor. You were under the authority... Of this, of this law for a period of time. It was to teach you something. And it was, a, it was a strict law, but it's teaching you something. What is it teaching us? God's law teaches us how beautiful God's standards are, how great his standards are. God said, this is a great and beautiful way to live. And you can live it out, follow these laws. These laws teach us how to live how to love our neighbor, how to use our bodies. What does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to be a neighbor? All these things are in the law. It also shows us that God's way is different than the world's way. God said, this is my way. And look, it's going to look different than other nations. It's going to look different than other people. You're going to live my way, and it is different than the world. You are set apart for my good purposes. So God gives this beautiful law. But you know what else the law teaches us? It teaches us that we can't follow the law perfectly. It teaches us how far we fall short of it. And it shows me how much I need Jesus. I, need, I cannot fulfill this law, but he can. It, it, all, it actually makes me understand how sinful I am. Romans chapter 5 puts it this way. Look at this verse. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So basically, God is saying, the time has come. You've been trying to live under this law. It is showing you how sinful and broken you are and how sinful and broken this world is. But my grace to forgive and to restore and to heal. And now the time is fully complete. And here comes God's grace in all of its fullness that we see in Jesus Christ. His grace is revealed in its fullness. 
until we can see how helpless we are apart from Jesus, we can't fully appreciate Jesus. God needed the world to experience that. And quite honestly, he needs us to experience that today, to know that. To say his grace is free and it is full, but you need it bad. Because there is a great distance between God's holiness and his perfect way and our brokenness and our sinfulness. But when you understand how great that distance is, you realize how much Christ did to reconcile us to God. How amazing his love for us is. And when we've been loved that much, then we can live lives of love and we can, just, we can just pursue God's law and do what is right and do what is good. We can just do it freely because we don't have this pressure to perform. We know that if we fail, God's forgiveness is there. Um, and so the world needed this law to better understand and appreciate and receive the gift of God. What that means for us, verse 7 in our passage today, this is what it means for us. It means you are no longer a slave but a child of God. And again, the, the way it's described in the passage is that God's law was, it kind of kept us bound up like we were a servant or a slave. So you're no longer at that status. You are God's child. You are free to just live life as his child. Not, not like a slave, but free. And, and then you could just, out of a heart for God, just live a good life and do good things. Because we have this great motivation. I'll illustrate it like this, and I've used this before, but I'll use it again because I love it. The illustration here, it's Christmas time, you buy Christmas gifts. And let's say, for the sake of our story, you're going to buy a special Christmas gift for your spouse. So for me, uh, buying a uh, beautiful piece of jewelry, a necklace for my wife. I'm not actually getting her that this year, so... But... Let's say I, I buy her the perfect gift. It's this necklace. and she, she, Christmas morning, she opens it up. She pulls out the necklace and said, Oh my, this is beautiful. You bought this for me. This is the perfect gift. Why did you get this for me? And I said, Because I'm afraid of you. <laughs> if I don't buy you the perfect Christmas gift, you're going to be angry at me, and I can't deal with that. I cannot deal with your wrath. So I bought you that necklace so that you will not be angry at me. Merry Christmas. <laughs> or she could open it up, take the necklace out. This is the perfect gift. I love it. It is so beautiful. Why did you get me this? I said, well, I was hoping that since I bought you this necklace, you might buy nice things for me. Or you might do nice things around the house. You might cook me good food. That I have done my part in buying you this amazing gift, and now it's your turn to do your part to be amazing towards me. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Not a great Christmas. Or she unwraps the gift, she takes out, this is so beautiful, this is the perfect gift. Why did you get this for me? I say, it is my duty to buy you the perfect Christmas gift. I am a diligent husband. Husbands buy perfect gifts for their wives on Christmas. It's the right thing to do, so I do it. Merry Christmas. 
She unwraps the necklace. She looks at it. It's beautiful. I love it. Why did you get this for me? And I say, I love you. It is my joy to give this to you. Your delight is my delight. In fact, this is, this is just a small token of my love for you. You're worth more than all the most precious jewelry in the world. I love you so much, but I saw this one thing, and I knew that you would like it, and I just wanted to have it for you because I love you, and I want to make you happy. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came at this appointed, exact, perfect time to show us we no longer have to approach God by just following the law, but we can experience his love and we can operate out of a place of love. Not just out of, we don't do what's right and live a good life because we're afraid of God. We don't live God's way and follow God's law because we want to get something back from God or maybe we'll get a special blessing or special favor. We don't follow God's way just out of duty because we're good, you know, American Christian people and that's what we do. We do it out of love and gratitude because God has so lavishly and so perfectly given us everything we need in Jesus Christ that we are free to just live a life that obeys his law, that is, that is committed to it. And even if we fall short, we receive his grace again and press forward and press on in his grace because we have been so loved that we can live a life that ple- truly pleases God. Jesus came at just the right moment. God said, the, the world has lived under the old system long enough. Here's the new way. It's a, it's a freedom and it's a beautiful that we are God's children, living as his children. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you're great, and your love is great, and your, your mercy and your grace are great. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus came at the very right moment, and we celebrate it together, his arrival. Lord, help that to remind us in those moments where we are not sure of your timing or your way, that you are indeed good and that you are indeed accomplishing your purposes in this world. Help us to trust you more and help us to live lives that are just free, empowered by your grace, with your very spirit working in and through us to be agents of this kingdom that is growing across this world, growing in our communities and on the, on the front lines of our lives even, Lord, that we would see your kingdom come to those places where you've put us. May we have joy as we live this way, and may you be glorified in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.